All right. Well, welcome to this very special episode of The Hammer Factor. On this show, we have 2017 and 2008 Tough Mudder World Champion, Hunter McIntyre. And one of my favorite quotes from Hunter, to, uh, from Hunter to lead this off is, Biceps win races. Welcome to the Hammer Factor, Hunter, and how are you doing? Well, I like my nickname, Humper. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> Well, before we dig into this interview, can you share something with our audience that most people probably don't know about you? Um, you know, what's, uh, Rory knows this about me. Not many people know this about me. I tried going vegan for a while. And if you know anything about me now, I eat like two or three pounds of steak a day. (laughs) And I tried being vegan and it was, it was cool. And it was, it also, you know, my, my dad shamed me. My friend shamed me. And, um, now I'm back on the dark side of eating meat again, but that's probably something people don't know about me. And I, I I do believe in the vegan diet. I just, you know what? It's just not who I am. So if you didn't know that about me, I'm glad that you know now. Well, how was your vegan experience? You know what? Like my skin felt amazing. My recovery was amazing, but like the muscle and mojo of who I was as a human being just went out the window. I don't know why. Um, maybe I didn't do it perfectly but i thought like i was eating really really healthy like i was eating tons of fruit and vegetables and tons of beans and like all the stuff that you'd imagine like a really healthy vegan would eat and i ate it in mass quantity and uh you know what like i just i turned into a shrimp but now i'm back on steak i'm now back on the steak diet i did a a vegan diet for 30 days i enjoyed it but i kind of felt the same you know i'm still plant-based but I definitely need to eat some meat every now and then. Yeah, come on. How can you avoid a good-looking ribeye? <laughs> well, let's start from the beginning. Uh, you know, before you were an obstacle course racing champion, you know, before you were on TV shows like Boundless, um, where are you from, and what what kind of passions did you have before you got in, into obstacle course racing? Um, well, I'm from New York City in Connecticut. Uh, I was split between... New York and Connecticut for the majority of my life until I was 18. And then as soon as I hit 18, like I just, I ended up getting a lot of trouble in high school and had to go to rehab for a year. And then like that started me off on like a, a nonstop pinball machine lifestyle where I moved from Montana to Taos, New Mexico to Nevada, back to Montana, then to Rhode Island, then to New York, then to Miami then to Europe, like I just kept on moving at like such a crazy rate of speed. Um, and honestly, like I never really had any passions of like, like right now I'm so passionate about fitness and I'm very passionate about being outside, but there was nothing, no one thing that you could look at me and be like, wow, Hunter is so in love with this. Like I loved skateboarding when I was a kid and, um, I liked smoking weed and drinking beer when I was in high school, but there was nothing that ever like I was ever so passionate about. And it's interesting now because like the biggest word in my language is passion. Because I say like, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, then you're not, then you don't really have the ultimate chance of succeeding in what you're following through on. So like saying whether or not you're a chiropractor, a businessman or a professional athlete, if you're not incredibly passionate about what you're doing, I just don't think that you, you're going to have the spark to light that fire that's going to make like an incredible life for you and the story that you're going to tell your kids. So it's interesting. Like it, it took until I was 19 years old to be like, wait a second, I really love fitness. And that was my first ever true passion. So it was kind of a crazy lifestyle to start. So you were on this path, not necessarily the path to success. And then at some point you you, you went down this fitness road. Was there, a, was, were there any mentors or any, any person that you could give credit or felt like nudged you along in that regard? Or is this something you fully found on your own? I would give almost all of the credit to my grandfather. Um, you know, my dad was always really, really encouraging and always like made me be the best at anything I did, but it wasn't because I, he wanted me to be the best at any one thing. He's just like, if you're going to do something, be the best. And he would harass the shit out of me during cross country season and stuff. But my grandfather, (laughs) he was incredible, man. Like he was just so over the top 
um, good at what he did and just was so passionate about what he did. It, it, it's something that I, I hope that I can follow through on as I get older. Like he went to become a doctor um, and studied at Harvard and became a doctor. And like he wasn't able to do the athletic stuff while he was studying to be a doctor. So then after he, he graduated uh, medical school, he was he went back to athletics and he pursued it and became a master's Olympian and a master's world champion in sports and oh. uh, track and field. And he would always like, you know, when I was younger, I'd throw rocks into the water. He'd be like, man, you got an arm. He's like, you better start throwing. And he got me into throwing. And then I, you know, set the school record in javelin. And he's like, well, you you seem really fast. You got to start running. And he would just constantly, he just gave me all the tools and gave me all the encouragement that, that, that was necessary. And then as I got older, like, I was like, wow, like I got to see what he is doing and how he did it and the way he held himself. Like he was very humble. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a hothead, not in a bad way, but like, I'm just a loud and wild person. He was always so humble and graceful about the whole thing. Like you'd never know that he had accomplished all those things. So I'd give pretty much the gold star to him. Like he was definitely my driving force. You know, kind of our mission statement here at the hammer factor is we help successful athletes share their genius with the world. And one of the mm -hmm. things that is an underlying theme is almost every athlete that we've interviewed has some sort of mentor or some sort of person who had that kind of effect on them. It's really interesting to hear that it was your grandfather. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm lucky to have him. Now we have, you know, people don't know this, but we have a mutual friend, um, a close friend of my family, Rory Bozio, and you did a an entire year on a TV show called Boundless, and I just got to bring up one part of that show uh, to our listeners. If I don't know where you can find Boundless now, um, if it's online somewhere, maybe you can help us with that, Hunter, but there is one line. You're in there with all of these experienced ultra runners. I believe you guys were in ultra in Argentina getting ready to do a 50-mile race. I'm not exactly sure where you were at. And there's kind of this interview talking about what your approach is going to be and what you're going to do. You had never ran even remotely, as far as my understanding was, that far. And one line that resonated with me is, you know, all the other guys on the show and Roy were like, oh, you know, I'm just going to make sure I get plenty of water. It's going to be hot. Oh, you know, take it easy, blah, blah, blah. And your first statement was, well, I'm just going to get out front and, you know, just try and stay there. I mean, where does that, yeah. where does that mentality come from? Like, you know, where did that come from? What were you thinking at that point? Well, you know, I lied on my resume when it came to boundless. Like I got contacted <laughs> and they were like, they're like, have you done ultras? Do you know how to do do you know how to go repelling? Do you know like all about like the nutrition and gear that comes along with this? Like, do you have the preparation? And I was like, of course. And I kept on checking all the boxes and, you know, it was basically rubbish answers because when someone contacts you like, Hey, do you want to do a television show traveling the world doing adventure races? I was like, yes. <laughs> do you have the experience? And I'm like, no, but you don't need to know that. And, uh, so basically I came in with like a kind of just a, a dumb and brash attitude that I did with all the turkey trots and cross country races that I had done my entire life. Like just like prefontaine, just get out front and run hard. And if anybody wants to beat you, they're going to have to kill themselves in the process. <laughs> and I had never really learned the pacing, like the pacing of a five K is, you know, obviously very different than the pacing of a, a run across the desert. It was in Chile. Um, but I didn't know that. So I just ran. And eventually, if you watch the whole episode, I crack so <laughs> magnificently in the middle of the desert, about 55 miles in. And um, it was a good moment, you know, and I, I still have the same attitude. I, I've got no regrets. Yeah, I love that. Well, you know, you could foreshadow that there was probably going to be some difficulties along the, the way with your run. But just that attitude really stuck out. And I mean, Let's be honest. If you ever want to win at anything, you kind of got to have that attitude. Well, most certainly. I I think that was one of the, the the most incredible years for me to just learn just learn how to get an ass beating. Um, <laughs> honestly, like I was, I'd always just had really good luck. Like I was really good at wrestling, and I was really good at running, and then I got into Spartan race, and I was really good at that. And I hadn't found anything that just had beaten the crap out of me. And I, out of that show, I think we did 10 races, and I dropped out of half of them just because I wasn't ready, and I just got pummeled. So it just 
gave me a chance to take let's take a step back, have a little perspective, learn a little bit. And now, like I honestly, like at the time, I hated it, and I was so like I was so at like so over it. But now I think about those races, and I'm like, someday I have to go back and conquer those adventures. That's great. So it's you know you you were explaining you did javelin, you've done these other sports, wrestling. How did you find your way to obstacle course racing? It was it was just random timing. I was living in Malibu with a bunch of bros in a bro mansion, and we were all drinking a lot of beer and didn't have, I didn't have a car cause I just moved from New York city and, uh, I lived up on top of a hill in Malibu, like a big mountain. Um, and we just had a lot of time on our computers and a lot of time in the gym. So we found there wasn't Instagram at the time. So like people weren't just like thumb scrolling. We would like have to actually get on YouTube and like really research stuff and try to find things that would entertain us. Um, and we discovered Spartan Race in 2011. My friend found it, and he just started screaming, Sparta! And we were like, ah! And we all got so excited, and they're like, you can't win this thing. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'll win this thing. I'll crush it. And <laughs> I went out there, hung over, and I was still drinking beer in the morning, the hair of the dog. And uh, I was in my underwear and a pair of tube socks and a bandana and I just I just rampaged like I remember stripping down into my underwear and it wasn't like sexy like trail running like Spanx it was like it was straight up like Hanes cotton <laughs> underwear and it was like tidy whitey status and uh now I can tell you when they let when when they they told us to go like honestly it just felt like I got shot out of a cannon like I hadn't I hadn't run anything since high school in a very competitive format so I knew at that point I was like, wow, when I finished it, I was like, that felt special like that. That hasn't felt, I haven't felt that way in a long time. And, uh, it just gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a sense, like, you know, a reason to kind of live and train again. Cause at the time I was doing, you know, back and triceps and chest and biceps and legs and shoulders workouts. Right. And it didn't really have other than one to just look good naked. It didn't really have any purpose. Right. Yeah. How did, how did you end up doing in that race? I took sixth place out of 10,000 people. So it was pretty, you know, let's say, let's say maybe a couple hundred people showed up trying to see what they were made of. And the other 10,000, you know, 9,000, whatever came to just, you know, get a picture and experience life. And because that was really a Spartan race in its infancy. And now it's at the point where, you know, we're on ESPN and it's global and it's pretty freaking crazy to show up at a race now and get top 10 like you have to be a fully honed in um athlete so i was lucky that i started the time that i did you know i have seen a lot of outdoor sports and been around the you know just a lot of sports in general and i have never seen the rise of popularity of a discipline like obstacle course racing i mean you just mentioned ten thousand people at this event are there any estimates about how many people compete in these events per year i what can you tell us about the sport of obstacle course racing gosh i think back in 2014 when my friend shot his documentary rise of the supper fest there was like five million people a year doing them it was something ridiculous because it's it's huge in the united states it's huge in europe uh big in north america like canada and pretty big in Mexico, big in Australia. Now it's starting to spread into Asia. Like these guys, they don't mess around. And on every single weekend, you can find an obstacle course race in the country. Like you'll find 10 of them because there's companies like Warrior Dash, Savage Race, Tough Mudder, Spartan Race. Um, There was Bone Frog, Battle Frog. Uh, You know, there's... There's just everything you can imagine, and they and they stretch from all different distances of a mile all the way up to 24 hours. So it's just it's constant. I mean, like they, you'll never get bored, and there'll always be a reason to keep on getting the the participants to buy back in after they've done their first one. So they're very clever, and it's a very exciting environment. So do you think maybe the fact that these races are different each time? It's not you know if you do a 5k you're always pretty much just going to run 5k do you think what do you why do you think the pop there's so much popularity with obstacle course racing is it the variation um well i just 
I've always thought that marathoning and 10Ks and 5Ks were just like kind of almost the only opportunity for people outside of, you know, high school or collegiate sports after they graduated, like an opportunity for them to stay athletic. Like there's not many things where you're like, well, I can sign up for a local 5K and it will just be an encouraging way for you to get in shape for the spring or stay in shape for the wintertime, you know, and look good in your bikini in the summertime. It's just something that everyone can do. And there's until CrossFit, there wasn't much stuff either. Um, you know, it, there's not so many people who are doing the mountain biking and so, so many people doing the recreational rock climbing. And then all of a sudden there's this thing where it's like, you know, everybody can do it and you can get a little wild and it's like a whole new opportunity. And like a lot of guys want to take their shirts off and flex. And a lot of girls want to look sexy and muddy in their bikini, like, you know, their like their sports bra. And it just was kind of this, I mean, if you watch the, the documentary rise of the suffer fest, it's really interesting. He has a whole psychological breakdown of why it's necessary for people to do this kind of events because they need to have a sense of purpose and a sense of strength and a sense of like, you know, uh, you just feeling like they're wanted, needed and, and, and worthwhile. Like it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, a lot of psychologists were part of the documentary just explaining why so many people were getting into it. And my friend does a really amazing job of telling the story of how he got into it, looking for a little bit of like purpose and direction. And then he was like, wow, this is such an interesting culture. And then he just builds like this whole international tour of understanding and talking to all these specialists of why it's become such a phenomenon. So, um, I would encourage you to watch that, but I'm just kind of a typical bro who ended up rising to the the top of the whole thing. Very cool. I'm going to have to put a link to that in the uh, show notes of this podcast. One thing, as I was doing some research on you, Hunter, for this show, um, I found out that you're the youngest um, of four boys and were diagnosed with severe ADD as a kid and was medicated with Ritalin, Adderall, Dexedrine, you name it. All the good stuff. Um, all to control your uncontrollable ener- um, energy. One thing I found is several top athletes have this um, ADD background. Um, yeah. What was that experience like, and how did how did you move past that? Well, you know, honestly, I just think it it may be it may be considered a genetic. It, you, maybe in the beginning, it seemed like a genetic curse, like where you have this disorder that was uncontrollable and didn't fit very well in the environment of a typical school. And, you know, I think about it now and, you know, back in the day in Eastern Bloc countries, they used to have these kind of um, like sports camps where they'd have all the local towns bring in their children and they'd have everybody test their skills of, you know, they'd have a kid run a lap around the track to see how fit they were, and they'd have them do broad jump, and they maybe have them throw something. And then if you were really good, they would take you away and put you in sports school, and that'd basically be the development program for making you an Olympian. Um, I think now, like, if you looked at some of these character traits, you'd almost consider them to be a, a, like a superpower, almost like the same kind of skill that a kid would have back in the day where if he was able to run around the track fast or he was able to – throw a ball farther than everybody else because you know I never considered what I had to be a weakness or like a problem but the school system for sure was like this is this is uncontrollable uncontainable and unnecessary to have in our classroom so right. they're like we're we're putting this kid on pills and we're going to you know stuff him in a special room so he shuts up and like I'm not trying to be like oh poor me like there's a lot of other kids who are in the same um, situation. So I, I had some bros to hang out with while I was in there. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I just caught up with one of my friends, Justin Pasha. Uh, he he has this incredible business now. He's one of the most successful kids to graduate from our high school. And he has this incredible business now where he has a cocktail business, a premium cocktail business where he'll come to a wedding, a party anything you want. Like he's been contracted by the biggest businesses there are in Hollywood to host a, like the after parties for the Grammys and stuff and be one of the cocktail guys. And he's so successful and he built the whole thing. But at the time this kid was put in the room next to me and stuff full of medication and basically on the, on the train to nowhere. 
because of what the school system thought. And same with me. Like, if you looked at me, like, I remember going back to my 10-year high school reunion and everybody was like, at the time, I remember seeing Mr. Popular, Mr. Be- most likely to be successful, Mr. Most likely to be the president, so on and so forth. And I saw these kids and I'm like, you guys fucking went nowhere. You guys went nowhere. And I like, you know, and I look at Justin and look what he did. And I look at what I did. And we are the two most troublesome, most like, you know, everyone thought we were going to go nowhere, deadbeat kids. And we both made it. And I'm like, what are the chances that we had a school full of thousands of kids? And then there was a room full of the special ed kids that maybe counted between 10 and 20 of us. And two of us are absolutely annihilating annihilating it and then of those thousands of other kids in the school if you looked at the percentages the percentages don't even stack up anywhere near as much as the kids that were supposed to be the adhd problem kids so you know sorry to go on a rant but i think about it all the time it's a it's a pretty crazy thing that uh we went through because we were like in the adhd era when we were first discovering these pills and testing kids it was like almost like a a pill version of lobotomizing people and uh, it's interesting. Like as soon as I I was court ordered to be on the medication until I was like 20 years old, because I, when I got out of rehab, they were like, you need to stay on medication or you're going back into the court system, potentially jail. So I had to stay on the stuff. And as soon as I got off the medication, like I skyrocketed, like I just I did my own thing. I followed my own path and life got really good for me. Wow. So much insight there. Thanks for sharing that. Any listeners out there, if you have any form of ADD, don't listen to what people are telling you. Don't let anybody set your own limitations. That story is value-ridden. Man, thanks thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, of course. So throughout this journey, Hunter, what was, what was your lowest moment? Mm. Uh, you know, there was a point when I started Spartan racing and I was actually doing pretty well. And my parents had paid for me to get to a couple races and sponsored me to at least get my, my feet off the ground in the sport. And I, I was kind of lying to them and still taking a lot of drugs and traveling and going partying, like with the money that I had left in my pocket, I wasn't saving it up towards doing good things. I was spending it more on drugs and, I had a point where I basically had hit like, like an overdose in Miami and my family thought I was back in California training for my next championship the week later. And like, I just, I remember like having to change my ticket thinking I was going to die and like overdose on this stuff. And I was like, it was the last money I had to my name. And I was like, ah, oh. yeah, I was just like, you know, I was basically lying to people and using their money and using their, their trusts to party when I should have been dedicated to my craft. And I just don't, I don't like lying. I don't like being dishonest. Like I, I just felt like I was playing a game of smoke and mirrors for people like trying to be a top notch athlete, but also a top notch partier. So I recognized right then and there, I was like, you know, you're going to have to make a decision where you either be selfish and go out on your own and just party and see that thing through, or you take the support and love of your friends, family and sponsors and accept that people are investing in you because they believe in you and follow through on the commitment that they gave you. Um, and you know, somehow pay it back. So I had to make that decision. And it was a, it was a low point in the way that I didn't like sit there and cry. It was just kind of like, it was a coin. I had to flip it to the other side and I just started going full on. It wasn't like any 50, 50. I just was full on back into training. And I said, I'm not going to mess around. So that was an internal decision. You, you consciously saw what you were doing and made that decision to switch gears. Completely. Flipping the coin. What sticks out as the top? What are some of the memories that stand out as uh, the most fond for you? Um, I would say some of the most fond moments are, you know, my family was divorced when I was five and admittedly my mom and dad, like they have a cordial relationship, but they don't have a relationship that's like booming where they stay in touch and, you know, they don't have any reason to talk to each other other than when there's something going on between my brother and I. And, uh, at my world championship for Tough Mudder this year, my mom and my dad both came and watched me. And usually it's just so insane. They don't even get to talk to each other, 
But this year they actually got to like hang out and catch up because they had to stay there for a couple days. Like I had rented a house and they had to be around each other. And it was like pretty amazing getting to see how excited they both were to be a part of it. Um, and it just seemed like, you know, it was a great, like they had both created me and created the environment for this to all happen. And I don't think they often get to like sit there and bask in it because they're always just doing such crazy things on their own. My mom's a really hardworking real estate agent. My mom, my dad's a really hardworking, you know, finance writer. So between the two of them, they don't really even get to think about the success and the amazing things that they've done for their children. And I think it was like a moment where they thought they got to like sit still for a moment and just watch it. And that was pretty cool. I think it's so cool that you actually, you know, took such notice of that of all the stuff going on. You're like, wow, one of the most satisfying things here is that we're having fun, you know, in that regard. Huh? Yeah. At championship time, I can almost see things more clearly and more quietly than any other time of the year because, like, I'm just so honed in. And, uh, you know, I think that's another thing you'll notice is like, with athletes, like the top-level athletes, you they don't get frantic in those times. I, I That's when I was happiest. Training for me can be more stressful than competing. And competing, I'm just – it's like surfing a wave. Like, I made it. I'm on top now. Now I just got to ride the thing out. Now I just got to ride that thing out. I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that quote from you. So let's yeah. let's talk about the 2017 and 2018 Tough Mudder World Championship. How does yeah. it happen? Are there multiple heats? How how do you how does the event unfold? Um so you're probably talking about uh TMX. It's the 1 mile world title. It's like a functional fitness running event where there's 10 obstacles and 10 functional fitness challenges. So you know, t- 2017 was the beginning of it, and uh, it's a one-mile race, and there's multiple. There's the in 2017, there was only two goes at it. There was the semifinals, and then there was the finals. So basically, semifinals, all 40. It was all 40 male athletes had to go in different heats, ten at a time, and you'd run out. Like first, it was the first year. It was designed like this. It was one obstacle to one strength thing. So I ran out. First thing we did was we pounded it out there. We did some box jumps, 15 back and forth. Then we had to go over this, climb up over this huge wall, back over the other side, climb up over another huge wall. Then you had to do a huge rope climb and then diagonal rope climb across. Then you had to go over a couple. um, Then you had to get to the sled pull. So you had to drag the sled out and then pull the sled back. And it's, you know, 200 something pounds. Um, then you had to go up over a huge obstacle. And so it keeps on going like that all the way through the course. So, and then it's kind of the strongest survive the best paces move forward and only 20 athletes went to the finals. And, um, I was able to pull off the title that year. And it was like, you know, something I've been waiting for my entire life. I've always, I'm six foot two and 210 pounds and I'm competing against most guys in obstacle course racing who are five, seven and 140 pounds and you know i can still run in season like a 15 15 5k best i ever got was a 14 k um but you know that's a really really huge body to travel through time and space and especially the longer distances when we get up into the those 13 to 17 mile races up on the mountains of tahoe it's just devastating right and um then 2018 season came around and, uh, I had to go again. And so we had a couple more of these championships and it just kept on getting more competitive. A lot of the top level CrossFitters decide to come in because it's, it's actually kind of a CrossFit event, even though there are obstacle court uh, obstacles there and there is running one mile to cover is not that much distance. Like you wouldn't consider it to be a full blown endurance event. And with the amount of strength and, and capacity that you had to move, these big sandbags and big sleds and kettlebells and stuff like you had to be full on like a full on really well-rounded athlete so by the time 2018 championship came around there was a couple guy a couple guys and girls who were podium athletes at the crossfit games sitting toe to toe with me on the on the starting line of the finals and you're like holy crap like this is this is as fit as it gets and, uh, you know, honestly, 
with the the luck of good training over the past couple of years, I was able to win that title as well. And um, I don't know why, but like it is, a, it really does feel like surfing a wave. Like I, the entire time, didn't feel like the wa- the water was overtaking me. It just like I felt like I was just kind of like threading that needle so perfectly, where I was not touching any of the sides. Like I, there was there was no friction. I just was kind of floating through time and space. And I was able to talk to my coach at the same time. And I was able to wave to my parents and I was able to count the reps so easily in my head. And I was able to flow over the obstacles. And it just was, it was one of those moments where training came together so well that I was able to really cinch the title uh, pretty easily the second time. So now I'm, I'm, you know, third season of it and back at it. That flow state is such a great place to be as an athlete. And I like the way you described it is it just almost becomes easy when you're in that, that mind state. How long does that event take? Well, like for your one mile course at the winning time, what is that? Um, the best time I ever posted on the course was 10, 19. So you got to figure you're probably holding between a four forty-five and a a six minute mile the entire time. And, you know, each obstacle, if you think about 20 movements and you add it up, each one of them takes about 10, 20 seconds. You know, that's that's where it's coming in. If you ran a six-minute mile and you've got 400 seconds, I think that's around, around right. I don't know. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah, that is intense. So you're doing all those obstacles – Basically in 10 minutes and completing a mile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And in the finals of the in the 2018 World Championship, we had to do it three times in one day. So that's when it started to get pretty gosh darn crazy. And every single time, it, they changed the course just a little bit with the movements. Um, the obstacles stayed the same, but instead of doing, um, you know, kettlebell swings um, and carries, you had to do kettlebell deadlifts and, like, carries. And you had to do um thrusters instead of lunges like it it it, every single time it got a little bit more challenging so by the end of it it was pretty crazy like the first race the the person like you know everybody was about five minutes behind me like the last person was about five minutes behind me the last race even of the top 10 best athletes the last guy came in nine minutes behind me because it was like so intense oh wow yeah wow so you crushed the field one one thing I've noticed through this series of interviews is that so many successful athletes, and you've already spoke to this, have some sort of multi-sport background. Real quick, how did your time wrestling or your time in ja- ja- you know throwing javelin or these other things? How how does do you feel like that's given you an advantage? And and can you speak to just the importance of being well-rounded as an athlete, not just doing one thing? Well, interestingly enough, I never took anything seriously um, when I was a kid. And maybe that's a good thing because I see a lot of people getting burnt out. Like after college athletes graduate, they almost don't want to do it anymore. Um, But I notice now when I start to see athletes come in and try to do a Spartan race or a Tough Mudder, if they – like I've seen – national champions olympic medalists come in and try spartan races and they just get annihilated and i think it's because they spend so much of their life doing one thing that as soon as they get out of their comfort zone it just is too much um for them to handle and it's it's odd because you see somebody who's the tip of the spear when it comes to athletic talent in a sport and they just can't hang and like you you assume a 15 minute 5k in the, in the scheme of things is not that fast. Like I was going up against a guy named David Torrance, who was a 13, 19 5k. And I remember him running alongside of me at our world title in Tahoe. And the guy looked like he was running. Like you ever seen an action movie when you light somebody on fire and they run like out of the building screaming. Like (laughs) he looked like that. I was like, Oh my God, I'm inferior. I don't know why I'm even here. He's so fast. And he just dropped out halfway through the race. And I don't blame him because it's a freaking brutal thing to do. It's just, 
it's a tough sport, especially at the very, very top level. And all I can say is just having that comfort of just never being anxious and always being kind of open-minded to try new things and being a versatile person is, is, is a superpower in athletics. Uh, like the, it's incredible. Like my friend who's my roommate, uh, Matt Kempson, he's not the best athlete, but he, I, he just spent his childhood doing dirt biking, rock climbing, rugby, soccer, skiing, everything at like a pretty good level that when we hang out, like he and I were just in Tahoe for this man camp where we went snowmobiling, cross country skiing, backcountry skiing, everything. He just was so, he was just so good at everything. I was like, dude, like how he's, he'd never tried uh, skate skiing before. And he just went out there and annihilated it. And I was like, how did you do that so quickly? <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking like a, a drunk. Um, it was just amazing. So I think it's important to have that kind of, you know, if you got kids right now and you're listening to this, make them do it all. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to take that. That's a takeaway I'm I'm going to run away with after this interview. Yeah. What? Let's say that you're someone listening to this. You're signed up for your first obstacle course race. What advice would you give them? Well, I would just say go in with an open mind and and, and just jump into everything. I watch too many people their first time going into it, look at it, and just be like, uh, like, I don't know what to do. I'm a little nervous. And they like sit there and hesitate. Like it's best to just go. Um, these things aren't designed for people to fail. They're designed for people to get stronger and be more encouraged and, and refine themselves over time. Not to like come in and just kick your ass and destroy you the first time you're there. So understand that millions of people have done it before you and you'll do the same exact thing. You'll accomplish your goals and just get right through it just as easily as everybody else has. You just have to have that that mindset of getting after it. There you go, Hammer Factor Nation. Get yourself in the right mindset and just get after it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what, let's talk about the transition from doing these races, borrowing money from your parents and whatever, to getting sponsors. How do you approach sponsorship? Um, gosh, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. I don't know... I don't know how the sponsorship game works that well because I just am always so amazed. I'm always so amazed that people do sponsor me because in reality, um, I'm just your average guy who's just kind of living life. And to have the fact like to, to imagine that somebody's going to pay you money and have, give you a, a t-shirt, so on and so forth with their brand on it and ask you to represent your brand still boggles me. Cause I'm like, wow, that's a pretty gosh darn cool um, that's a really, really cool responsibility. But, you know, if I, if I had to give you guys the one-on-one on how to get after it, um, I think being a sponsored athlete is about being you to your truest self and really being honest with why a product that you use is part of who you are. You know, I remember when I first started, I allowed a couple people to sponsor me that I didn't really even know what the product was. I'm like, well, um, I'm, I'm 22 years old. I don't have a dollar to my name. I guess if you want to throw me a couple bucks and ask me to say something, I will. But then as I matured, I was like, man, like, honestly, I, I, I would never wear that or use that or do that. And I think that's something you have to really be honest with yourself. Like, it, I always tell people, I'm like, you'll get more coming to you the truer you are to yourself and the more honest you are with the people that, that are following you. And like, if you look at my social media, like I don't ever post a picture with like a gigantic, like, like a soda can stuffed in your face, like drink this. It's the best way to get through life. Like I just, I live my life and I, like when I wake up in the morning, I have always been a huge fan of creatine and I started taking concrete creatine when I was 19 years old and started bodybuilding. Ten years later, I met the founder of Concrete Creatine at the LA Fit Expo. And I was like, hey, man, like, I've been using your stuff for 10 years. Like, I love it. Thank you. And that's all we said. And then I just stayed in touch with him and just kept on talking to him. And I asked him you know, how that product would work better for my sport and 
I was like, you know, it just doesn't make any sense that five grams of creatine is all you need to get stronger. Like I weigh 210 pounds. My friend weighs 150 pounds. I work out six hours a day. They work out one hour a day. That doesn't make any sense. And he's like, and we just started learning about how the chemical cocktail worked in your body and how you could better supplement yourself. And we just ended up getting into a partnership. And now he's been sponsoring me for the past year. And like, I can honestly say I didn't do anything other than just be myself, be honest with myself, be honest with the people around me. And it just kind of happened. And like, I hope that makes sense. No, that is a great takeaway. If, if, if you're listening to this show, be true to yourself. And not only will your sponsors get more value, but you'll align yourself with sponsors that give you more value. So yeah. that is, that is, that is very wise words right there. What's a day of training look like for you? Do you do tapers? Do you consistently do the same thing every day? What's give me uh, the rundown of your routine to get fit enough to to do these events? Um, I'm a big periodization guy. Like I think there should be a off season meant for strength. I think there should be uh, a strength endurance season, which is just before your season starts, which is about three, th- two to three months, where it's like practice. That's like kind of like my tempo time and. My like EMOMs, like taking a barbell and like every minute on the minute for 20 minutes do on minute one, do, uh, you know, three squat cleans on minute two, do, uh, you know, three snatches. Uh, and like, it's just cause I'm doing a lot of CrossFit stuff right now. Um, and just keep on doing that back and forth for 20 minutes and just practice having strength in that position over time. And then in season, Uh, you know, it's, it's more about having the energy to do the hard, hard workouts that keep you sharp. Um, and that's usually like, that's when I start to really get into designing my week really, really specifically. Like Mondays is heavy and hard track workouts. Tuesday is volume, like three workouts a day where it's just like constantly moving. Like I'll wake up in the morning and I'll do some, like a CrossFit workout. And then at lunchtime, I'll do another Iman workout. And then in in the evening, I'll go for like a 60 to 90 minute bike ride or a 45 to 60 minute run. Wednesday is like just long, slow and easy endurance where you're just like allowing yourself to breathe and relax and have fun. That's usually done on a bike or like a really easy trail run. Thursday is like hit it freaking super hard again. and super intense. Um, Friday is one of those more of like Tuesday again, it's like just do stuff like it's skill based and like lifting and gymnastics and easy running Saturday is competition day. Cause most competitions are on Saturday. So I just train like that every Saturday. So my body knows like, you know, when Saturday comes, it's time to go. And that's usually two to three workouts of just absolute, every single workout gets more intense. Like in the morning, I'm like, I go and at lunchtime, I'm like, I'm going hard. And then evening time like you go for broke and and then sunday is like hike swim relax eat food spend as much time on the couch as possible right right i like that i really like the uh takeaway of just conditioning your conditioning your body to be ready for that saturday you know it's yeah it's it's expecting that that kind of shock of the actual event i think too many people get after working out like hard all the time and like when my easy days come around, like I'm chilling, like you can hang out with me and talk the entire time. Like I'll get off the treadmill in the middle of my workout and just kind of do some stretches and hang out and talk to you for a second. And then I'll get back to it. Like, it's just chill out. Cause it, it's almost, you stretch your mind almost more than you do your body in some of these weeks. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. We touched on this a little bit earlier in the show and this is, a question that we ask everyone and we get so many different answers, but what's your diet like? God, it's, it's pretty crazy and I wouldn't prescribe it to most people, but I eat at least two pounds of steak a day at this time of year. I've kind of pulled back a little bit on the steak. I'll have one steak a day and I'll eat one rotisserie chicken a day, like a whole thing. And, um, lots of bread, lots of rice, Lots of orange juice. Like, I really do not believe in the ketosis stuff. 
And I believe in high, high fat's not a problem, but uh, I really like to just sit down with people who want to, you know, pitch me their keto ideas. And I just sit there with the biggest smile on my face and let them try to sell it to me. Um, but I, if you gave me 20 avocados, I'll eat 20 avocados. And if you gave me 20 oranges, I'll eat 20 oranges. Like it's at this point, it's more about having valuable numbers and nutrition rather than this perfect kale, superfood latte, blah, 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 bullshit. Because in reality, if you're working as much as I do and you weigh as much as I do, it's going to cost you a lot. And if you look honestly at the top level performers, you almost never see them. Like my ex-girlfriend, she was an Olympic swimmer. She ate so healthy and I didn't get it. But most people I hang out with, they just eat crap all the time like when i was hanging out with rory like rory eats relatively healthy but then she eats lots of candy too and you just be amazed like you just need to get the stuff in like last night i came home and i had a peanut butter and honey sandwich and i had a big thing of orange juice and i had a big thing of rice like that's just so many carbs most people would be like you're gonna that you can't eat carbs after 8 p.m you're gonna get fat no I'm pretty shredded and <laughs> I, I feel great about it. So I hope, I hope that made sense. Like, you know, what I was trying to tell the listeners I'm a big believer in macronutrients. I follow macronutrient diets. Um, I've had a nutrition coach for a while and now he's just a bro because we basically found out the formula, but it, he runs a company called beyond macros. And as long as I hit my numbers, like I, you'd be surprised. Like it could even include ice cream. If I hit my numbers, I wake up in the morning, like ready to punch through brick walls and I look lean and I perform well. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. It is amazing. The diversity of diets of top, top tier athletes. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> what, so what are you up to now? What's, uh, what's your schedule looking like in the near future? Um, what I'm trying to do right now is, uh, I'm going to try to compete in the CrossFit games. And the way that I'm going to do it is they have what's called the blowhard card now or the wild card where the CEO, Greg Glassman, has introduced a opportunity for four female and four male athletes outside of the sport of CrossFit who think that they're badasses to come and compete in the CrossFit games. And I've said this for years, like I'm not a CrossFit athlete. Like, you know me well enough where even in the show, we talked about me hosting a uh, ultra endurance television show competing on Spartan race, doing 24 hour races. Like those are not CrossFit, uh, workouts. Um, but I've always loved to do CrossFit because I think it's a functional, well spread out. Like, you know, I never feel like there's any kind of workout when I go to the gym or anything in a contest that I show up to that I'm afraid of because I've done CrossFit for years. Right. But I can't, I, I will not qualify the traditional way because I'm too leaned toward endurance. So I'm hoping that I get one of the um, the CrossFit wild cards this year. So I've been training uh, to learn their skills, but I'm still doing a very big chunk of cardio. Um, and in a perfect world, I would like to go compete in the CrossFit Games in August and do well there and then just go rip people to shreds at Tahoe World Championships for Spartan in October. I love that. Yeah. So the Bo Jackson of, of the modern day. <laughs> The Bo Jackson in the modern day. You know what? There yeah. could be some kind of T-shirt that get that, that comes out of that. that yeah, statement. dude. Bo knows. We gotta just come up with a tra- <laughs> like, you know catchy tra- phrase for Hunter. Um, tell me about this T minus thirty program. You're an instructor for this. What is that? Um, T minus thirty was something where I was contacted by a company called OpenFit, and they are a new platform where they're trying to. You know, everything's done on your phone these days or on demand. It's just people are finding easy ways to get workouts done, just like P90X and Insanity. You could do it from the comfort of your own home. It was a similar platform as that. And they contacted me and they're like, hey, listen, we want to help people get ready for Tough Mudders. Would you mind doing a program with us? So they made a collaboration with Tough Mudder. Um, I used to be a spin instructor and fitness instructor for years. 
So they're like, you're a perfect fit. You do the things and you used to teach the things. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So we took three months developing this thing from all the years of experience that I had, you know, basically from competing for me for years and working out with people of all shapes and sizes and fitness levels for years. We were like, how can we create a program in 30 days where almost anybody could feel like they'll just crush a Tough mutter? So we created this thing and it's on demand, stream it from your phone, from your laptop, from your TV, whatever it is. Once you have the platform, which is called my open fit, um, it's a really, really fun program. It's Monday through Saturday, every single day of the week has a new dynamic workout. Um, it includes a running program where I do some audio runs for you guys. It includes a pull up chin up program. So you have the grip strength to get over these obstacles. And then it has every single day of the week, it goes extreme conditioning, dumbbell endurance, athletic training day, uh, dynamic dumbbells, mutter ground strength, and then mutter mobility. So six days of just like fun packed, dynamic, exciting workouts. Nice. And are these delivered in like a video format or are they all audio or how do, how does the, uh, someone who signs up for the T minus 30 get this program? So you'd want to go onto the app. Um, you can click, like if you go to my Instagram, there's an easy link there. Or if you just go into the app store, you type in open fit, it will pop up. And once you have it, like the program is there's, there's streaming workouts, like anything. There's a yoga one, there's a bar one, there's a 600 second one, which is basically 10 minutes of working out a day one and then there's a t-minus 31 so there's a humongous package once you have the membership for 99 dollars, you can do 99 dollars for the year um you can do whatever you want but if you want to specifically do t-minus 30 you click on it and it will start literally a countdown for 30 days of workouts for you until your tough mutter so i mean even if you didn't want to do a tough mutter it's pretty insane like how ripped you'll get like uh we had a test group where um where we ran a lot of the employees at tough mutter through it and I had these people come up to me. I'd never met them before, but they, they're like, Hunter, like we did your program. Like I lost 18 pounds. Another guy lost 15 pounds. Another girl lost 11 pounds. Like, and they got in shape. Like it's, it's a really well-rounded, awesome kick-ass program. So, uh, it's, it's functional fitness. It's something that will literally make you feel like an athlete so you can perform like an athlete. Very cool. I'll be, I'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes appreciate it we are we're getting close here to the end of our interview is there anything else that i haven't covered that you'd like to share with with our audience no dude like honestly it was great to connect with you and i appreciate your time thanks for sharing my story but uh anybody if you ever want to get a hold of me uh, my name's hunter mcintyre you can find me on social media really easily and uh i always try to do my best to return the favor because a lot of people extended their hand out to me while i was learning so uh if you ever need help just reach out Okay, and is there a preferred uh, place where our listeners can follow you? Are you an Instagrammer or Facebook, or what's the best platform? Instagram is is my go-to. All right, well, there you go. We'll follow Hunter McIntyre on Instagram. Good luck, and I hope you qualify for the CrossFit Games. And, man, I appreciate the time. This has been great. Thanks a ton, dude. Good connecting.